Thanks for listening to the KC Morning Show. Will you fight? No! We will run! And we will live! Shame on you! This could be the greatest night of our lives. But you're gonna let it be the worst. And I guarantee a week won't go by in your life. You won't regret walking out, letting them get the best of you. Well, I'm not going home. We've got too far! And I'm gonna stay right here and fight for this lost cause. A day may come when the courage of men fails. But it is not this day. The line must be drawn here. This far, no farther. I'm not saying it's gonna be easy. You're gonna work harder than you ever worked before. But that's fine, we'll just get tougher with it. If a person grits his teeth, it shows real determination. Failure is not an option. That's how winning is done. Believe me when I say, we can break this army here. And win just one for the Gipper. But I say to you, what every warrior has known since the beginning of time, you've got to get mad. I mean plum mad dog mean. If you would be free men, then you must fight to fulfill that promise. Let us cut out their living guts one inch at a time. And they will know what we can do. Let no man forget how menacing we are. We are lions. You're like a big bear, man. This is your time. Seize the day. Never surrender. Victory or death. That's the Chicago way. Who's with me? Eleventh, 1970, victory belonged to Hank Stram and his Kansas City Chiefs. TV9 News special report, close up the flood of 77. From the Kemper Arena in Kansas City, Missouri, it's Milwaukee Bucks against the Kansas City Kings. Now Kansas Cityans must decide what happens next. What is to follow the city's Holy Week riots? I am here at the American Royal World Series of Barbecue. Daryl Motley awaits, and the Kansas City Royals are world champions. Professor Harvey K., my brother, he is the good professor. From the University of Wisconsin, Green Bay, Tuesdays, we take back America, reclaiming that radical progressive history of America. We got a great playbook. We have students of that playbook, students like Harvey J.K., students like myself, hopefully students like every single one of you listening at home. That's how we spread this message. But I do want to mention the bummer that is now associated with January 6th, right? You know, now people think of the insurrection, what a terrible day that was in American history. But what we want to talk about and take back, if you will, is the radical day that was January 6th. What was the year? 
1941. And we're talking about, my friends, the four freedoms. FDR's four freedoms. And with that, Professor K, hello, my friend. Hi. It's good to see you, Brother Hart. So listen, you know what? I got so into thinking about what we were going to do today that I actually suppressed the memory for a brief moment of the ugliness of January 6, 2021. Yeah, geez. Now that I think of it, I believe that as I watched that unfold outraged and disgusted i thought to myself oh shit. it's gonna overpower january 6th 1941 in the american story oh god we were watching it in real time i remember kitty and i we had started the show a little bit late you know we we're slow to the, <laughs> we're kind of slow that day we even paused the show and we just had to process what the hell is happening but again i think this is really important especially today let this be a playbook for you and the playbook that it should be for the Democratic Party. The other day, a friend of mine, my publicist from a few of my books, somehow or other she said something about Roosevelt. She mistook the fact that she meant to say Teddy Roosevelt. And I said to her, you know, Teddy's not my guy. And she said, I know, I don't know how I said it. When you hear these words, you know, this isn't Franklin Roosevelt. Like, I think this is FDR. Let's tee it up. We're recording today two episodes. One of which is on the four freedoms that FDR presented the State of the Union message with the world already at war, but the United States was not yet in it. And he laid out the possibility of America being attacked and the vision that America should pursue if indeed we don't go to war or if we do. The point is that this is the place America should be. This is the position America should take and the vision it should offer. Then the second half of what we're doing part two. What did the French say? Part two. That will launch next Tuesday on our regular Take Back America Tuesday. That will be on the FDR speech, the Economic Bill of Rights, which was the State of the Union of January 11th, 1944. And the reason we're making such a big deal about this, this is the 80th anniversary of that speech. And it offered a vision that Americans did subscribe to number one and number two that major figures in succeeding years including a philip randolph bird rustin walter ruther i mean a whole host of figures in and out of the labor movement embraced this idea the democrats themselves held on to it even truman in 48 ran on a platform that included it in 1960 kennedy ran on a platform that included it although i don't know how he specifically felt about it and then later of course we get a. Philip Randolph's Freedom Budget, Martin Luther King Jr.'s call in 68 before his untimely and tragic death, and then Bernie Sanders in 2020, and Harvey Kay and Alan Minsky <laughs> doing everything in their power to promote the idea. And there are reverberations even as we speak around the country on that, from New Hampshire to California and West Virginia to Wisconsin, in fact. And Kansas City. And Kansas City, absolutely. So let me introduce the speech. I'm going to read the paragraph that introduces the speech in my book, FDR on Democracy, the collection of his most important speeches on the question of democracy. So let's remember, the world is already at war in Europe and in East Asia. The United States is not involved directly in that war. And on December 29th of 1940, not long after he won the 1940 election for a third term as president, unprecedented third term as president, he delivered a fireside chat 
on what was called the United States becoming the arsenal of democracy. In other words, that Americans should recognize their commitment to democracy and express that commitment by devoting energies to making the United States the arsenal of democracy in its industrial endeavors. Only one week after his arsenal of democracy fireside chat, Roosevelt delivered his 1941 annual message to Congress. Speaking again of the Nazi and fascist threat, he made it clear that the dictatorships would likely attack the United States itself. But notably, as much as he urged turning the economy into the arsenal of democracy, he also insisted that doing so did not mean the country should suspend or give up the advances of the New Deal which many a Republican was demanding. Indeed, he insisted, Roosevelt, pursuing the programs of economic and social reform all the more aggressively. Finally, with America's own historic promise in mind, he offered a vision, a promise, of a post-war world founded upon the four freedoms. Freedom of speech and expression, freedom of worship, freedom from want, and freedom from fear, which would become the theme of America's ensuing war effort. What Hartzell and I will be doing now is we've gone to the last part of the speech where FDR reaffirms the commitment to progressive change and then does something which is reminiscent, perhaps, of the arguments of the Declaration of Independence and the Gettysburg Address. He literally grabs hold of history, or as I like to say, he takes hold of American history and he articulates anew that American promise. He articulates it in a way that it's a vision for the world. Not America as an empire in the world, but America literally pursuing these four freedoms. So, I guess we'll begin, Hartzell. Take it away. As men do not live by bread alone, they do not fight by armaments alone. Those who man our defenses and those behind them who build our defenses must have the stamina and courage which can come from unshakable belief in the manner of life which they are defending. The mighty action that we are calling for cannot be based on a disregard of all things worth fighting for. The nation takes great satisfaction and much strength from the things which have been done to make its people conscious of their individual stake in the preservation of democratic life in America. Those things have toughened the fiber of our people, have renewed their faith and strengthened their devotion to the institutions we make ready to protect. Certainly, this is no time for any of us to stop thinking about the social and economic problems which are the root cause of the social revolutions which is today a supreme factor in the world. For there is nothing mysterious about the foundations of a healthy and strong democracy. The basic things expected by our people of their political and economic systems are simple. They are equality of opportunity for youth and for others, jobs for those who can work, security for those who need it, the ending of special privilege for the few, the preservation of civil liberties for all, the enjoyment of the fruits of scientific progress in a wider and constantly rising standard of living. These are the simple, basic things that must never be lost sight of in the turmoil and unbelievable complexity of our modern world. The inner and abiding strength of our economic and political systems is dependent upon the degree to which they fulfill these expectations. Many subjects connected with our social economy call for immediate improvement. As examples, 
We should bring more citizens under the coverage of old age pensions and unemployment insurance. We should widen the opportunities for adequate medical care. We should plan a better system by which persons deserving or needing gainful employment may obtain it. I have called for personal sacrifice. I am assured of the willingness of almost all Americans to respond to that call. A part of the sacrifice means the payment of more money in taxes. No person should try or be allowed to get rich out of this program. And the principle of tax payments in accordance with ability to pay should be constantly before our eyes to guide our legislation. If the Congress maintains these principles, the voters putting patriotism ahead of pocketbooks will give you their applause. Now, I'm now going to pronounce the words of the Four Freedoms, but I want to point out to people, they may have heard him say, he did say, that we should bring more citizens under the coverage of old age pensions and unemployment insurance. What he was doing is he was saying it was time, he always wanted it to be the case, that not only those who are covered by Social Security and unemployment insurance, but so too the agricultural workers who were left out, means especially in the South, African Americans, out West, most likely Mexican-Americans. It also meant that if unemployment insurance was leaving out any category of workers, they too should be included. Okay, I think that's important. So now we get to the key lines that we're reciting here. In the future days, which we seek to make secure, we look forward to a world founded upon four essential human freedoms. First is freedom of speech and expression everywhere in the world. The second is freedom of every person to worship God in his own way, everywhere in the world. The third is freedom from want, which, translated into world terms, means economic understandings which will secure to every nation a healthy, peacetime life for its inhabitants everywhere in the world. The fourth is freedom from fear, which, translated into world terms, means a worldwide reduction of armaments to such a point and in such a thorough fashion that no nation will be in a position to commit an act of physical aggression against any neighbor anywhere in the world. That is no vision of a distant millennium. It is a definite basis for a kind of world attainable in our own time and generation. That kind of world is the very antithesis of the so-called new order of tyranny, which the dictators seek to create with the crash of a bomb. To that new order, we oppose the greater conception, the moral order. A good society is able to face schemes of world domination and foreign revolutions alike without fear. Since the beginning of our American history, we have been engaged in change, in a perpetual, peaceful revolution. A revolution which goes on steadily, quietly adjusting itself to changing conditions, without the concentration camp or the quicklime in the ditch. The world order which we seek is the cooperation of free countries, working together in a friendly, civilized society. This nation has placed its destiny in the hands and heads and hearts of its millions of free men and women, and its faith in freedom under the guidance of God. Freedom means the supremacy of human rights everywhere. Our support goes to those who struggle to gain those rights or keep them. Our strength is our unity of purpose. To that high concept, there can be no end. 
save victory. Here, here. And just a few things I'd like to add to what we've just read, and that is the reception that it had in Congress. The Democrats exploded, except for the Southern Democrats. The Dixie Democrats heard this as a threat to their white supremacist Jim Crow order. So they may well have been enthused about the overall concept of the speech, but when he started mentioning freedom from want and freedom from fear, that was not something they felt comfortable applauding. But it's notable the Republicans often sat on their hands as well. But here's another thing about it. If you listened closely to the freedom from want and freedom from fear, they were more international in concept than domestic. However, Americans heard them and made sense of them in their own terms. And when people heard freedom from want, they imagined that the New Deal would be revived and it would intensify. Two, freedom from fear was heard by African Americans as a sign that maybe the federal government was going to step forward and apply the law fairly. That meant an end to lynching, okay? It meant an end to segregation. Southern apartheid, you might say. But also, a lot of Jewish families heard that and realized that this might actually mean that they would no longer be ignored by authorities when it was the case that thugs, there was a group called the Christian Majority or something like that, the followers of Father Coughlin, who was an utterly anti-Semitic, pro-Hitler radio priest. And such thugs were attacking Jewish families on the streets of both Boston and Brooklyn. So when people heard this, it actually sunk in that they might have a chance of building upon the New Deal and enhancing the original Bill of Rights. I can tell you that it mattered. And by the way, the four freedoms, freedom of speech and expression, freedom of worship, freedom from want and freedom from fear became, if you like, the motto, the slogan, the vision of America's war effort. And it stuck with that generation all the way through probably, one could argue, the 1960s by way of both Kennedy and especially Lyndon Johnson with the Great Society and War on Poverty, with A. Philip Randolph and Martin Luther King Jr., who were very much in tune with the arguments that were being made in this speech. And it goes perfectly to our next speech we're going to be breaking down in part two. Well, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, <laughs> we're going to take a brief break. And then we're going to record what you will hear, I hope, on Tuesday, when we address the questions posed, the vision posed by the Economic Bill of Rights in 1944, three years after this speech, The Four Freedoms. And I should note that this is in many ways the theme of the entire FDR presidency. He first talked about an economic declaration of rights back in 32 on the campaign trail. He expressed it very intensely in this Four Freedoms. And in that next speech, he comes right out and calls for Congress to begin to act on the idea of an economic bill of rights. And I have other things to say when we come back with that second episode. That transformation, I say transformation, I feel like he always had that social democratic feel to him, but I think he would also admit that he had a bit of a transformation. And hearing this episode today on the Four Freedoms, and then on Tuesday when you hear about the economic bill of rights, it fits so nicely. I've had people who have listened to us, Professor K, and have said that, you know, we have helped them on their own political ideological journey. It feels really great to hear that. And 
Tuesday's episode is a great example of what you can do once you've had that awakening. You know, once you have had that radical moment and you expand on that thought, it's okay to expand on a thought. What a concept. See yourself in that progression of thought. And I do want to make it clear to people listening that FDR was no saint and there were some tragic decisions and failings. In the course of the next 18 months, it's going to go from the four freedoms to the point of the war breaking out and FDR allowing himself to be pressured by property owners and right-wing Republicans in California to move Japanese Americans from the West Coast into the interior and place them in internment camps. One of the great tragedies of American policies during World War II. One of my dearest friends who passed away some several years ago was born in one of those camps while his own father was in the American military. The other thing, of course, is that the American military remained an essentially fundamentally segregated force. Okay, African Americans fought, a million of them fought, if I'm not mistaken, in black regiments. Except there were times, and I want to make it clear to everyone, no one makes much of this, but during the Battle of the Bulge, these units fought right next to each other and overlapped. And then also it's interesting to know that there was, on some of the islands in the Pacific where Americans were stationed, and one in particular, I don't can't remember which one it is, if it's New Guinea, once they took it back from the Japanese, is that the commandant, that sounds like an un-American name for it, the commander of the bases there actually ordered that all the cafeterias, etc., be integrated. I forget the fellow's name, is a Jewish-American officer who said, this is unacceptable, we're going to integrate all of this. And they did, yeah. There are tragedies to be noted there, but at the same time, it's the case that there were those Americans who took seriously the ideas of the four freedoms and made them reality, however limited those realities were. Well, there are lessons to be learned. The radicals along the way, the struggles, the fights, the blood, the sweat, the tears, also the solidarity amongst classes that would not normally, according to other folks, be working together. That happened. When A. Philip Randolph heard this speech, the head of the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters, the all-black union on the Pullman trains, the sleeping carts on the trains, he decided the time had come to act on this question of segregation in the military and the defense industries. And though he did not succeed in gaining the desegregation during the war, he would later would in the late 1940s, it is the case that his threat or promise to bring 100,000 African Americans to march in D.C. for the integration of the defense industries did compel FDR to sign an executive order to desegregate the defense industries and also to create the Fair Employment Practice Commission that was in a position to sanction any company that refused to follow that executive order. So, you know, he heard the four freedoms, A. Philip Randolph, and there was no turning back. Professor K, where can folks find you on Twitter? H-A-R-V-E-Y, initial J-K-A-Y-E, Harvey J-K on Twitter. You can get me at Hartzell965. You can get the show, The KC Morning Show, at KC Morning Show on Twitter, at The KC Morning Show on Instagram. Back with part two in just a matter of moments for us, but for you, back on Tuesday. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see you soon. You bet. In a second. <laughs> you got a fast car And I want a ticket to anywhere Maybe we make a deal Maybe together we can get somewhere Any place is better Starting from zero, got nothing to lose Maybe we'll make something Me 
have I got nothing to prove Out of heaven, working at the convenience store. Managed to save just a little bit of money, and we won't have to drive too far. Just across the border and into the city, you and I can both get jobs and finally see what it means to be living. See, my old man's got a problem. what I did You got a fast car Is it fast enough so we can fly away? We gotta make a decision We leave tonight and live and die this way